Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. I invite you to turn in a Bible to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. If you're using one of the blue Bibles, that would be on page 177. 177. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 8. Here the author of the passage writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that once... When the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. 
And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. So, this morning you get a, uh, a pink-eyed Barry White. Uh, so we need to pray for the Lord's help. Okay? So let's do that. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. You are the all-seeing God. There's no trouble with your eyes. So, discover our own hearts. Show them to us. Let your word be searching. As it is living and active, bring the word to live and act in every single one of us. For your glory we pray it. Amen. We sometimes sing a song here, O Church Arise. It goes like this. O Church Arise and put your armor on. There you go. Hear the call of Christ our Captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, will stand against the devil's lies. An army bold, whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Next verse. Our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. Now, think 2 Kings 6, what we just read. When faced with trials on every side, we know, like Elisha, the outcome is secure. And Christ will have the prize for which He died, an inheritance of nations, even Syrians. It doesn't say that in the song. But the song is fitting as we come to our text this morning. As we've been in Galatians uh, all last uh, semester, we've learned again that the righteous shall live by faith. And one of the things that I enjoy about biblical narrative like this are the depictions we get, not just of faithful living, but of the faithful living. (laughs) How embattled men and embattled women of God do battle with faith and with valor. One thing I think I'm beginning to see better is this, that living by faith is, in the first place, so much about recognizing the terrain of our lives as a battlefield and learning to trust whatever the enemy's armies that our God is the Lord of the battle. So, do you know that we have an earnest enemy? And do you know what hope you then have against his very militant raids and tactics? And when he exaggerates his lie that his army is more, and that you are all alone. And he advances that lie with the dawn. Are you equipped to overcome it? Like, Do you go to bed at night with a shield of faith so that when you rise in the morning, it's there? Are you armored with a biblical worldview? And then what of his soldiers? What of his soldiers? Is your heart able to pity them? Are you inclined to return mercy, love, good to them whose intention was to do you harm? As we close one year for another, and the battle to believe continues on, who does not need to see this morning the enemy confounded? Who doesn't need to awake to God's available power Who does not need to translate more 
of mercy received into mercy shown. That's what we see in our passage. So, let's come to our first point, covering verses 8 to 12. And it's this, that to do battle by faith, we need to be equipped with the Word. We need to be equipped with the Word. And this is symbolized, if I can symbolize something here, it's symbolized by the prophet, Elisha himself. You see, we're told of a time in the passage when the people of God were under attack. And in spite of uh, military intelligence, uh, the king of Syria had initiated war against the people of God and against the king of Israel, where to weaken them, he would set up these strategic encampments where he would run these raids against the nation in the hopes of maybe even capturing their king. And in that, we can hear this. Even when God's people are long settled and well established, peacetime is really hard to come by. Like rest, the way that we want to rest, is for a later time. But until then, we're going to face enemy incursions that threaten our borders and our living, and if we're not watchful, our very existence as the people of God. If the line of citizenship is broken, breached, the life and the character of the church as it ought to be biblically becomes endangered, even possibly to the point of apostasy. So I don't know if you remember this from our time in Galatians 1, but this is Paul's uh, warning in that chapter. God's people need to be established in the truth. We need to know the truth so that we're able to defend the truth, so that we're able to hold the line that preserves our congregational life. So what you need to hear this morning is that the divine truth will always be a foil against the advances of the adversary. And so, it follows from this that the adversaries of God's people must live the most frustrating existence. Every time, you see it consistently throughout the Bible, every time they think we have won the day, every time they think that we have bested God, sooner or later, God turns the tables on them and He bests them. He reminds them. You're not me. You cannot do all that you please like I do. Your best laid plans can be thwarted because God always has a royal flush to throw down on the table. And here, that highest hand is the prophet Elisha. He's the ace up the sleeve. It's this, listen now, one man of God. I wonder, did you expect more for God's royal flesh? One man of God. If you expected more, maybe you need to hear there is hardly a mightier title in the Bible than man or woman of God. That title tells of an intimacy with God that really does produce this true power for living in the world. That title implies that grace has been received and glory is in front of you and you're all kinds of useful in between. Does that describe you? Have you, as a Christian, begun to think of yourself as a foil against all the schemes of the devil? Have you begun to think of yourself as instrumental to the safety and the survival of, say, this church? Do you believe that one person living mightily by faith can secure an entire people of faith? And do you welcome that responsibility? Elisha did. Time 
after time after time, talking verses 9 to 12 here on the whole, Elisha was able to tell Israel's king what the king of Syria had in store. And it greatly troubles the king of Syria, see in verse 11. Worldly as he was, his best guess is that there has to be some traitor among my people. There has to be some traitor among my servants. How else can the king of Israel know exactly the things that I whisper in the privacy of secret counsel and or the guarded chamber of my bedroom? It's like Elisha's there. And indeed, verse 12, this king's servants say pretty much that. But the reality at play is yet above that. It involves, listen, an invisible world and an invisible God that they happen to deny. Elisha is not hiding in the castle curtains. But God is there. God is in the private chat rooms of his enemies. And at this time, because he loves his people and he despises the kind of atheism that enemy armies imply, God reveals his knowledge to his prophet for his king and his country. In other words, by God's direct intervention, Elisha served the welfare of Israel and her king by communicating what God had revealed to him for their safety. If you want that in more contemporary terms, the man of God, being for the people of God, is responsible to communicate the word of God. As in this instance, in this text, so it will always be for us today. Having the Word of God and hearing the Word of God so that we obey the Word of God, as the king wisely did, is all our hope against all the schemes of whatever and whoever the enemy. When we gather like this, a prominent theme, don't forget, we are training for battle. Worship is a kind of warfare. The Word is a kind of sword. Preaching is a very great power. And those who go about it faithfully, spreading the Word among God's army like Elisha, what a gift to God's people. I've been watching some uh, Percy Jackson while my family's been sick, right? Sit down with the kids. We do the gods of Olympus thing. And you see that these gods, they, they gave gifts to their children. Some fun things like winged sneakers, right? And hats that they put on and they vanish. Uh, abilities, certain abilities with the, the sword or abilities to heal. You touch water, whew, everything that's happened. To you that has harmed you, it's, it's taken care of, okay? The true and living God, likewise, has given us gifts as well. And besides the Lord Jesus Christ, none greater than His Word. And all those who faithfully pass it along. In this way, verse 10, Elisha saved the king. It says, more than once or twice. How often has the Word of God saved you after having saved you? Does it not tell you all the schemes of the devil? He hasn't come up with anything new. He chronicles them all for us right here. So you can know them and avoid them. Isn't there revelation on every page for understanding those that would oppose us? Why they do, what they do, and how we're to respond. 
Is it not the prophetic word, the prophetic word, as Peter calls it in 2 Peter, of the all-knowing God that's intent on saving and supporting your Christian life? The question is, do we know that word? We've got to know this word if we're going to live by it. You cannot wield a weapon that you do not practically possess. And if you feel that's true for you, that you're lacking in that area, get yourself an Elisha. Gravitate towards godly men and godly women who really know the Bible and can teach it to you with an eye to becoming such a resource yourself for others. Okay, So a new year is here. The good fight of faith continues on. Be equipped with the Word of God. Next, be equipped with a biblical worldview. Get Elisha's perspective. We need it. We so often don't have it. We pick up in verse 13, and as I said, it has not yet dawned on the Syrian king that he contends with God. His beef is with Elisha. Now, why is his beef with Elisha? Because worldly people, enslaved to the flesh, have an impossible time admitting in decisive terms that the God of heaven exists. It's as Jesus says in John chapter 6, in John chapter 3, that which is of the flesh is just flesh. That's it. It's just flesh. So we see that with the Syrian king here. It doesn't matter what he knows of Elisha's ministry. It doesn't matter what he knows of Elisha's God. It doesn't matter what he's experienced of Elisha's ministry. He's experienced a lot of it. He's frustrated, greatly troubled. It doesn't matter what he experiences of Elisha's God. Okay? It doesn't matter what his pagan council has warned him. Everything for the Syrian king is tactics, strategy, pragmatism. More horses, more chariots, more soldiers, manpower, flesh. We'll get rid of Elisha. In his mind, the power at his disposal is able to seize and dispatch of the power at Elisha's disposal. Flesh will prevail over spirit. Man will prevail over God. Sound familiar? Some do trust in chariots. Some do trust in horses. But what a false and fragile faith that is. In truth, it's a blindness that's doomed to destruction. Having said that, it will put the faith of God's people to the test. So, you see in the passage, the instructions are to take a great army to Dothan. That's where Elisha is, Dothan. And it's useful to think what this night-traveling horde communicates. It's an army of men. Think about this. It's an army of men to seize one man of God. So, tell me again how true godliness isn't a greatest power in the world. Tell me how even pagan kings don't secretly tremble before true heralds of the Word of God. Tell me how convictional pulpits don't unsettle the convictions and the nerves of mighty, however lost, men. To borrow from Martin Lloyd-Jones, tell me how by true preaching and the help of God, mighty churches aren't the greatest force on planet earth. Tell me how you, with Christ in your heart 
and a Bible in your hand aren't more formidable than a barbarian horde covering a mountain. Ben-Hadad, the Syrian king, sends a mountain of men against one man of God. Because he's not a little afraid. And rightly, however, inadequately so, as we'll see. See this as we go. How the enemies of God's people, I think in betraying their fear, not only go overboard in their approach, but also seek the most opportune time to seize upon us. Can you imagine waking up like Elisha's servant to an enemy army covering a mountain? Verse 15. They've come in the dark and they are a steel curtain at dawn. Who can't relate to that? Maybe not to facing a Syrian army, but to seemingly impossible situations, hopeless circumstances, broken trust, pierced hearts, grieving hearts, sore eyes, yesterday's sins, and the guilt that clings so tightly, enmity in your marriage, enmity in the home, opposition you find on campus, in the lecture hall, temptation all along the way, your own besetting sins, you awake to these things. It greets you first thing in the morning. It doesn't give you time for a devotional and a prayer, much less coffee and a protein bar. The battle doesn't wait until you're ready for it. Spiritual enmity is not interested in granting us time to wake up and do some stretches, so we warm up and then armor up. Its entire operation is to catch us sleepy, cold, and naked. Drowsy, achy, and spiritually defenseless. And if that's where you are, you need to beware. But you do not need to despair. You see, it's another scheme of the devil to show you all of his while trying to blind you to all of God's. He wants to isolate you. He wants you to think that the battle is lost before it's begun. He wants you to see what can be seen. But he does not want you to see what can't be. He wants you to live by sight and not by faith. He wants you to believe if you take your stand against my army, you will take that stand all by yourself. You see, here's the thing. The devil needs to beat you before the Calvary of divine truth comes into view. Because he doesn't want any part of a fight with you after that Calvary arrives. He wants no part of a Christian in armor. He wants no part, nothing to do with believing spines of biblical steel. Elisha's are very dangerous to him. So again, are you one of those? And if not, what are you going to do about it in 2024? See, in our passage, the young man, Elisha's servant, God bless him, isn't content to forfeit. He can't see what he needs to believe, but he also isn't fine staying that way. So he goes to Elisha. He goes to his discipler and says, Elisha, what shall we do? And beloved, listen. When worlds collide, 
You need people in your corner who are experienced in the war between worlds. You need collision insurance. You need people who can show you God's path to victory when defeat appears all but certain. Do you have someone like that in your life? Do you have someone like that in your life? Someone who can help you view even great trial through the lens of faith. One who always knows what you tend to circumstantially doubt. One or more, God willing, who has a biblical worldview, is steadfast and strong in it, and can really help you to see that worldview too. As Christians, like Elisha, we need to hear, we should be those who routinely bring this collision of worlds about. God help us if the godless don't consider us some kind of threat. If the worldly sees no other world in us that would draw out their opposition. If we prove to be eh, as atheistical and this worldly as they are. So they're good with us. God help us. But provided we are what the Bible says we can be, we also need to be those who help each other see the truth about the battle. It is the business of godly people to help those who cannot see God's help see it and sense it in their souls and savor it and then apply it with grateful confidence. What shall we do? Elisha, verse 16, he answers, it's one guy and a servant and a mountain of a Syrian army. Do not be afraid. Man, have you lost that? That kind of boldness and confidence and bravery that rests upon the truth we cannot see. Do not be afraid. For those who are with us. <laughs> the, the, I imagine the young man's like, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Do not fear what you see. Trust what, however unseen, is yet true and present and all-powerful. God is with us. And all His angel army to boot. Now listen. It's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to see it. It's another for this thing to be true. We need to be clear about something here. We are not, as Christians, we are not about, you know, baseless, useless platitudes. Oh, those who are with us are more. We don't really know that, but it sounds nice. Elisha's words are not a diversion meant to coerce a bravery out of this young man that, however, created and applied by him, has no actual basis in reality. That's not what's going on here. These are the words of a man who knows what he said to be true. They're the words of a man who's lived by faith in God's constant presence and noted for future use, use right now in the present moment. He's noted God's ready assistance. And as he is, and desires his servant to do likewise, don't miss what the man of God does. He prays for this young man. He asks the Lord, verse 17, to open 
his eyes. He prays that his perspective would be given by God to his servant. And same verse, the Lord, it says, who was there, opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and I love this, (laughs) the writer says, and behold, like he's talking to us now, because God wants us to see what the young man sees. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. (laughs) So, it's with good reason the Syrian king was not a little afraid. Men and women of God come complete with an invisible army of heaven. They have God's forces all around them. They have the victory, is what I'm saying. If God is for us, who can be against us? John Piper famously at that point says, everybody, (laughs) everything, but not ultimately. Ultimately, if God is for you, if God is for us, no one can stand against us, prevail over us. Those who are with us are more. As with the young man, will that not change your perspective this morning? Will this not be the moment that the veil between worlds is pulled back, never to be covered over again for you. This morning, we need to see God's more. Are your enemies many? Maybe it feels like that sometimes. God's favor is more. Are your temptations many? God's Spirit in you is more. Are your sins many? God's mercy is more. Are your doubts many? God's sure word, His truth is more. Are your troubles many? God's promises are more. Are your hurts so deep (laughs) and so many? God's balms are more. Are your fears, worries, concerns, anxieties, many? God's presence is so much the more. And for that reason, along with the Word, we have no greater weapon in the world than prayer. Folks who say things like, you see this on social media all the time, we don't need prayer. Something bad happens. We don't need prayer. We're done with prayer. Prayer doesn't work. No prayer. We need action. Don't give me your prayers. The people who say that, according to our passage, are blind and worldly. I'd argue there's nothing so powerful as a truly praying soul. Like, I'm not blowing smoke on slack when I ask for your prayers or when someone asks for your prayers. And our passage is the proof. A truly praying people like Elisha wield the forces of heaven on earth. The prayer of Elisha's prevaileth much. Worlds collide, but God's always going to win. Do you see it in verses 17 and 18? God is present, 
God answers prayer. Elisha knows this. So Elisha prays two things. Let my servant see the unseen and blind our enemies even to what they can see. And it says, the Lord did this. Don't miss the rest of it. In accordance with the prayer of Elisha, the man of God. Wow. It's worth wondering if we pray so little because we see so little. And is that why we're defeated so much? God's answers, just to be clear, may not always roll out as we desire. But we can trust they will always roll out in the most timely, the most divine, and the most ultimately helpful way. So, be equipped with the Word. Be equipped with this worldview. Last thing. Be equipped for the wayward. Be equipped for the wayward. Let me come to Elisha's pity. Picking up in verse 19, they've been struck blind. The Syrian army, Elisha now leads them to Samaria. You don't know this, Samaria at the time was the seat of Israel's king. So, let the blind and unbelieving, if there are any of you in the room this morning, be warned. If you take your cues for life from ungodly people, if you let the blind lead you, if you follow people who cannot spot the way to heaven, you will most certainly find yourself eventually at the seat of Israel's king for judgment. That's what's happened here. And yet, there is a remarkable turn of events in our passage. In verse 20, Elisha prays that the Lord would open their eyes to where they were. It's a good thing to pray for blind hearts. Oh Lord, open their eyes that they might see where they are. Even in terms of judgment. The Lord does this. And they saw that they were in the midst of trouble. <laughs> They're in the midst of Samaria. They saw not only that they had failed to seize God's prophet, but that God had seized them and brought them almost certainly to their doom. You can hear the earnest inclination of Israel's king in verse 21. Elisha, he says it twice, shall I strike them down? Doom. Shall I strike them down a second time? Judgment. And shouldn't he? Doesn't that make sense? What a providence. The Syrians were the enemy. They sought the king's life. They raided God's people over and over again, in fact, on one of them, if you go one chapter back, in the case of Naaman, we see that they engaged in what today we call human trafficking. They had taken a little girl and turned her into a slave in Naaman's house. These are bad people. Here, in our passage, had they not just sought the life of Elisha? Had they not intended to do Elisha harm? So, what an opportunity to set the enemy back. To deliver a decisive blow. To cripple their military. And in that way, secure Israel's peace and their prosperity and preach victory in the name of the Lord and spread His fame from shore to shore. Our God is the God of the world. Shall I strike them down I 
Here, that's how we too often think we're going to win the day. To put down those who hate us. To show them no pity. Give them no quarter. Return to them what they sought to give to us. But Elisha shows a better way. (laughs) A way that aligns with what we're going to know eventually as the gospel. Though he's led them to the seat of judgment and prayed that they would have eyes to see where they were, he tells the king, verse 22, Shall I strike them down, Elisha? You shall not strike them down. O king, you you show mercy to those that you take in battle with your bow and your sword, and God has delivered these to you. Show them mercy to. And so, listen now, in the place where I think we all would have expected judgment, mercy, prevails. A feast is actually held and the soldiers are fed till they're full and then sent away. And it says at the end of our passage, on account of this mercy, the raids against Israel ceased. In other words, pity paid off. So too, as we see in Elisha, Our call to war is to love the captive soul even as we rage against the captor. Are we clear on that? Or are we more like Jehoram, the king of Israel at the time, are we more like him? Or are we more like Elisha? Are we more like the king of Israel? Or are we more like the man of God? Here's what we have to confess. It is not easy to pray for those who persecute us. It is not easy to love those who very tangibly hate us. It is not easy to show pity to the pitiless. It is not easy to act and labor for the salvation of those who only desire our destruction, essentially. It is not easy to be merciful as our God and Father in heaven is merciful. But Christ has called us to that. Friend, if you're unbelieving this morning, can I I prevail on you to become a Christian Right now, the gospel, the good news in our text is that the God who exists, who is, and who also knows your deepest, darkest secrets full well, just like he knew those of the king of Syria. This God who is also the judge of all is also a God full and overflowing with mercy. In fact, He sent His Son, Jesus, the King of kings, from heaven to earth, not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He sent Him into the world to make a place of judgment. The only place where saving pity can be found. This King, Jesus, died on a cross to save every sinner who believes in Him. So my question for you this morning is, to what master, having heard that, to what master are you going to return today? The Syrians went away, to their master. 
To whom are you going to go today? Satan and sin or the Savior of sinners? Will you remain an enemy of God? Or will you join the feast as one among that great number of God's people? And church, as we lay this year to rest for a new one, will you arise to that call? Will you arise and put your armor on? Will you, would we fight with faith and valor? If we would, what our text is teaching us this morning is that we need to see to the Word of God. We've got to really know it. And we've got to believe what it says. We have to believe the worldview that it puts out in front of us. And we need to learn to show the wayward a better way. We need to learn to lavish them in gospel grace. Not easy, but it is the call of Christ, our captain. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word again. We ask for uh, your help. Please bury it deeply and richly within our hearts and within our heart collectively as a church. Help us to live by faith better. Help us to live by the truth that those who are with us are more. We thank you for your promise that you yourself will never leave us nor forsake us and that you are for us. And I pray that our souls would be able to rest and rejoice there today. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.